Good morning. Today we again follow the order of service on page 15. And our opening hymn this morning is hymn 456, Approach My Soul, the Mercy Seat.
and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For our intro of our psalm today, I invite you to turn to the inside of your bulletin. Uh, today we will sing responsibly, uh, men and women, uh, the first three verses of Psalm number five. We'll sing, to, sing through it twice today, uh, the first time maybe to learn it, the second time to uh, sing it. Uh, Lonnie will lead the woman's part and I will uh, sing the man's part. Yeah. 
us pray. O God of peace and comfort, grant unto us that peace which the world cannot give, that we might trust in thee for pardon and forgiveness in the shed blood of Christ Jesus our Savior, and live our lives in peace, trusting thee to watch over us, keep us, and preserve us in the true and saving faith unto life everlasting. Grant this unto us for the sake of Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. I ask you to remain standing. Since I will be using the entire epistle lesson for our sermon text today, I'm going to continue by reading the gospel lesson. The gospel for today is recorded in St. John's Gospel in chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. Today we confess our faith and we will use the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page 12 in the front of your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
You may be seated. We continue by singing hymn 457, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. God, which we consider today, is our epistle lesson for the day, which I read now from Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 4 through 7. Here St. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I ask you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again we pray your Holy Spirit's guidance and blessing upon the speaking and the hearing of your word this day. We pray that we would find peace with you through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and also partake of peace with the confidence that you watch over us and will keep us and provide for us in all our needs. We ask these things for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed sinners, ransomed by the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus. The text for today in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians comes toward the end of his letter in the fourth chapter as he gives some last instructions and then, of course, later that's followed with his greetings. We find that the background of this is really in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we find that Paul travels from the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, and he travels into what is modern-day Greece in the very northern part it says in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed or tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And as you go on reading in chapter 16, and I invite you to do so, we find that the Apostle Paul met with a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of, of purple who was from the city of Thyatira. She and her household were baptized and as things went on, uh, Paul and ends up being arrested, and he is in jail. And Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail at midnight, and they are 
worshiping and praising God, singing praises to God when an earthquake comes and the, the doors to the jail fly open and their chains fall off and the jailer is about to kill himself thinking that he would be held responsible for the escape of all his prisoners and Paul cries out, you know, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And that night, he asked Paul, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. And that night, he took Paul and Silas home, washed their wounds, because they had been beaten illegally. And they shared with him the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that very night, the Philippian jailer and his household were baptized. They had come to faith in Jesus, and they wanted to be a part of God's covenant through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they're baptized. And Paul then later writes to the church, which was established in Philippi, uh, beginning with this incident with the Philippian jailer and with uh, the woman of Lydia of Thyatira and others who came to faith. And as he concludes this letter in Philippians chapter 4, he reminds them first of all in verse 1, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He urges them to stand fast in the truth of the gospel, to hold fast to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. He beseeches two women uh, who are co-workers that helped him and assisted him in his ministry basically to get along. Apparently there was some difficulty between them. And then he says in the opening words of our text, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so Paul urges the believers to rejoice in the Lord, even in the middle of all the troubles that they faced, the persecution that they suffered he urges them to rejoice in the Lord because in the Lord they had forgiveness for all their sins and a place in God's everlasting kingdom. And if you think about this command, this urging or exhortation of the Apostle Paul, who has more reason to rejoice than you and me, than believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? We can rejoice no matter what's going on in the world because... In Jesus, we have forgiveness for our sins. In Jesus, we have a place in his eternal kingdom of heaven. In Jesus, we have all the blessings of the almighty God being showered upon us. And so, with the Philippians, we rejoice in the Lord always. And as he says, again, I say rejoice. He said, let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord is at hand. Moderation is a, another way of saying, instead of being, I guess, angry and, you know, coming down on everybody to be more of a gentle spirit, humble, uh, not dealing with people in a forceful way, but gently leading them and guiding them in the truths of God's word. And he urges that their moderation be known among all men. And so instead of seeking to argue and to fight, uh, they were to gently proclaim the teaching of God's word. 
And then he says, to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. To be careful for nothing is not to be full of cares for any reason. In the same way as, you know, Jesus urged his followers in the Sermon on the Mount not to be overly concerned about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear, but rather to seek first his kingdom and trust their heavenly Father to provide all these things. So St. Paul urges the believers in Philippi not to be weighed down with the cares and concerns of this life, not to worry, but whenever there's a concern, whenever there's a need, to take it, as it says here, to the Lord in prayer. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We learn that as we study our catechism lessons, when we are taught to call upon him in the day of trouble, and he promises that he's going to hear us, and he's going to deliver us from our trouble. And so the apostle urges them to call upon the Lord, to pray, to make requests to the Lord in every situation. And notice he says, with thanksgiving. It would make an interesting study to do, but to notice how many times in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, that it urges us to be thankful, to give thanks, to pray with thanksgiving. First of all, when we're praying with thanksgiving, of course, it indicates that we're praying in faith because we're thankful to God and trusting God no matter how he chooses to answer our prayer. But in many ways, being thankful is kind of the opposite of not trusting and being covetous. In the book of Romans, it talks about people knowing God, knowing the truth about God, but not being thankful. And it talks about how their knowledge, how they became darkened in their knowledge of God and exchanged the knowledge of the true God for their own foolishness in worshiping man and even images of animals and other created things. But they weren't thankful. They didn't acknowledge God for who he is and that he is the one who provides all things for them and that he is the one who provided his son for our salvation. And I say it's kind of the opposite of covetousness because covetousness is not trusting God to provide us with all we need. We think, you know, we need more, so we need what our neighbor has or we need what somebody else has and we're not satisfied with God gives what God gives us. And it's called idolatry because it is not trusting in the Lord God. To be thankful is to trust that no matter how God answers our prayers, it is good and best for us. It is what we truly need. If you think of that Bible passage in Romans chapter 8, which we'll refer to again a little later, you know, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. That However God answers our prayer, we know he is working for our good because he seeks our salvation. He seeks to keep us in the faith unto life everlasting. And then our text urges us or tells us that when we pray,
pray with thanksgiving and let our requests be made known to God. Now, this is connected with the word and, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You might recognize these words because we speak them at the end, at the close of every sermon. And sometimes they're called the votum, which is, votum is from Latin, that means a vow or a, can mean a prayer or a promise. And God here promises that, as it says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As we think about peace in the Bible, it's certainly different than peace as the world speaks of peace. You know, we see that especially at Christmas time because, you know, the angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And we find people all over the place talking about peace on earth. And they're talking about, you know, a ceasefire for 24 hours, uh, peace on earth. Well, what good does that peace on earth do if, you know, the next day they're shooting at each other again? It's not a permanent peace. It's not a real peace. It's just a, you know, as some say, they're taking time to refortify and reload for the next day. Uh, certainly different than peace with God. In the Bible, the word peace is, you know, the Jewish greeting shalom in the Hebrew, or Irene, from which the name Irene comes from in the Greek. And it means something far different. It's speaking about, as it's used in the Bible, it speaks about peace with God and peace in God. We, of course, have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the peace of sins forgiven because Jesus Christ made atonement on the cross. He paid the price for our sins so that instead of God being angry with us and dealing with us in wrath, when we look to him for mercy, he can deal with us in forgiveness. And so we have peace. We are reconciled to God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if there's any passage that says it better than Romans chapter 5, after St. Paul writes about the fact that we are not justified by the works of the law because we all sin and come short, but that we are justified when we believe God's promise, when we have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So when we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe that when he died on the cross there, he paid in full for all our sins, and we look to him for mercy, God forgives us, and peace is established between God and man. We are reconciled through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 brings us out where it describes how both Jew and Gentile are receive peace from God in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, in the interest of time, I won't read that one today, but I would like to read from Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, 
It says, it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. And so Jesus Christ made full atonement for your sins and my sins, the sins of the whole world. And we who are enemies of God, who do not believe in God by nature, are reconciled when we are brought to faith in Jesus and we receive the forgiveness that he won for us. And then we have peace with God because our sins are pardoned. They're washed away in Jesus' blood. In our baptism, we're joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection so that we have the blessings he won for us, forgiveness and life and peace with God. And so Christ, by his atoning sacrifice for our sins, satisfied God's wrath against us. He won for us pardon and peace with God. And when we trust in Christ and his cross, that peace with God becomes ours. And we live and rest in the assurance that God indeed forgives and accepts us as his own dear children for Jesus' sake. But there is also a, another kind of peace, or at least a variation of peace. It's not as though it's somehow disconnected from peace with God, but there is also peace in God. And this is the peace that we have when we not only trust in Jesus for pardon and forgiveness, but when we trust Jesus with every aspect of our lives. It's peace in God when we trust in him to watch over us, to care for our every need. It's confidence that God indeed does love us and care for us, that he hears and answers our prayers for Jesus' sake. And it's confidence that we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows and does what is good and best for us even if that happens to be different than what we might think is good and best for us. This is, in many ways, a peace of mind that our God will never fail us or let us down. It's a confidence that no matter what happens, God is working for our good, as I just said, you know. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You think back to the night when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, tried, and then, of course, the next day crucified. One of the things that Jesus said to his disciples is in John chapter 14 and verse 27. Kind of interesting words when you consider the context. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We might wonder, well, what kind of peace could Jesus give to his disciples that he had when he was about to be arrested or betrayed by one of his own disciples, arrested, mistreated, mocked, spit upon, you know, have a crown of thorns, 
pounded onto his head to be scourged and then to die by crucifixion. And yet he said, my peace I give unto you. I think the answer to that is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, here we read, Looking unto Jesus, it's urging us to walk in faith, but it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had peace, not because his life was going to be peaceful, but he had peace because he trusted his heavenly Father with the outcome of what was about to happen to him. He had the joy of knowing that God would accomplish your salvation and my salvation by his going to the cross, being nailed there, dying there, being forsaken of God the Father because he was paying the price, making atonement for your sins and mine and the sins of the whole world. And so in the middle of all that he had to endure, he had peace because he knew the outcome. Again, if you have time, read in Isaiah chapter 53. After you read about all the, you read all the passages which talk about the suffering that Jesus would endure, look at the end of the chapter. It speaks of him seeing the outcome, seeing the many who are reconciled, justified through faith in his shed blood. And so our Lord Jesus had peace even in the midst of what would be terrible unpeacefulness or chaos or sorrow or persecution because he knew that God the Father would accomplish our salvation and that he would raise him up and glorify him. I think of a devotion that I read many years ago. I think I was actually probably even, I might have been in college. Might have, I doubt if it was high school, but probably college. So it's been... 50 years ago. I still remember today, though, because it was very good. The devotion said that two artists were given a canvas and asked to paint a rendition of perfect peace. First artist goes to work and he draws this beautiful, serene uh, picture. You know, it could be whatever you want, whether it's mountains or valleys, you know, and everything peaceful and quiet and just perfect. Second artist goes to work and he paints a picture of this thundering waterfall with the water just thundering down and the mist rising up and the wind is blowing and hanging with its roots in the rock cliff over which this waterfall came was this small tree hanging out over the waterfall. And in the tree is a bird's nest and there in the nest a bird is sitting calmly on its eggs as, you know, the tree swings back and forth and the mist rises. The point of the devotion was the first image of peace is stagnation. It's temporary because, you know, storms are going to come. The second is perfect peace. 
Why? Because this bird in its nest was in perfect peace, even though it was chaos all around him. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that says, and these are, again, God's inspired words for our comfort. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You think about those words. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And so the peace that Jesus gives us, that he gave to his disciples when he told them not to let their hearts be troubled or be afraid, was a perfect peace, trusting in the Lord. As Jesus trusted, as he went to the cross to be condemned and forsaken and to die, so he urges his disciples that even in the midst of persecution and suffering, they should trust because God is in control and that God is working all things for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And if they die, as you know, tradition tells us, that all but John were put to death for their faith in Christ, it is for a purpose. It is so that you and I might hear and believe and join them with eternal salvation. And it is with the hope that even in death, God is at work and he will raise them up on the last day. And so it doesn't matter if this world is coming apart around us. It doesn't matter if we're facing pandemics or wars or political upheavals. God is in control. He's redeemed us. He's made us his own dear children through faith in Jesus Christ. He's given us peace with him. And he will never leave us or forsake us, or as Jesus says, you know, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. You think of the other place in that passage where Jesus says, you know, let not your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to take you to be with me where I am. And so even if everything falls apart here in this world, even as we face death or persecution, we have eternal home in the mansions of our Father's house. Even in death, we need not be afraid because as St. Paul writes earlier in this same letter to the Philippians, to die is gain, it's to go to be with the Lord. And so we have that confidence. Or I think of Job, you know, even if we die and are laid in the grave, what does Job say? I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And even if, you know, my body decays, if worms destroy this body, in my flesh, with these eyes, I will see him. Because he will raise us up. So think about that passage. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. If we trust in the Lord... If we come to know him, we will trust him and he will keep us in perfect peace no matter what goes on in the world, which of course is saying very much the same thing as Philippians 4 verse 7, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts 
and minds through Christ Jesus. So when we know and trust the God who created us and also sent his son to redeem us, who sent his Holy Spirit to bring us to faith in Christ, who continues to work through word and sacrament to keep us in that faith, who is working and promised to preserve us unto everlasting life for us. You know, Jesus says, you know, no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. When we recognize this, we will have peace in this world. When trouble comes or when needs come, what do we do? Worry? No, we pray. We turn it over to our God who is always at work for us, always watching over us. So when we make use of the privilege won for us by Christ Jesus and his death on the cross, when we take our troubles and concerns to the Lord God in prayer and give him thanks for his answer, no matter how good it appears to us, we have peace no matter what the outcome. We have the confidence that God is in control, that is our loving Heavenly Father, he is working for our good. And it's certainly fitting that we use these words at the end of every sermon because the sermons are there in order to, through the word of God, give us such peace to assure our hearts that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness and to assure our hearts that God is working for our good in all things and will keep us unto everlasting life. And if we want to know, you know, how can we have this peace? The key really is to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And how do we know God and how do we know Jesus Christ? It's not just knowing all the facts about him, but it is reading and studying the scriptures so that God may reveal himself to us and we may truly come to know him and what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. That we may truly come to know his great love for us, his care for us. So through the hearing and reading of God's word, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith. He reveals to us who it is who watches over us and keeps us. And he gives us a peace that is beyond all understanding. I mean, how could Jesus have peace on the night when he was going to the cross and he knew it was going to happen? How could the apostles have peace knowing, you know, they may be beheaded tomorrow or be crucified. How can we have peace when we face the hour of our death? It's because we know and we believe that in Jesus we have forgiveness and that God has everything in control. He's working for our good and he will preserve us and safely bring us into his heavenly kingdom. And so now the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. God give you peace with him and in him. Amen. I ask you to please stand.
You may be seated. We continue our worship by bringing forward our offerings. you to please stand and join the prayers of the church. Heavenly Father, throughout this Advent season, we have heard that Christ has come in the flesh, that he comes to us today in word and sacraments, and that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Guide us by your Holy Spirit that we may be kept firm in your word and faith until we are received into your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, God of faithfulness, you have fulfilled your promises by sending the Messiah. Grant that we may celebrate the birth of Christ by hearing the word, singing your praises, and receiving his body and blood. Lord, in your mercy, Almighty Father, you uphold all creation by your hand, Preserve for your church and for future generations the institution of marriage between one man and one woman, which you established even before Adam and Eve's fall into sin, that your church may be blessed with many children and that our families may reflect the order of your creation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of all, govern the nations of the world, establish peace in every place, and scatter the people who delight in war. Feed the hungry with good things and be their helper. Lord, in your mercy. Grant all women with child and all mothers with infant children increasing happiness in their blessings. Look with compassion on the lonely, the depressed, the despairing. Grant healing to the sick and give to the anxious and dying comfort. Comfort all who mourn with a certain hope of the resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, fill us with joy as we approach your altar this morning to receive the body and blood of Christ. Give us the peace that surpasses understanding and gladness that no man can take from us and the hope that does not fade away. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, 
Your love invites us to rejoice in your goodness. In every circumstance of life, teach us the joy that comes from knowing your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and eagerly expecting his gracious visitation to the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. We continue by singing hymn 358, Lamb of God, we fall before thee.
truly meet, right, and salutary, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty, everlasting God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose way John the Baptist prepared, proclaiming him the Messiah, the very Lamb of God, and calling sinners to repentance, that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Thank you. 
probably could all come forward again. body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ given unto death for all your sins. The Lord bless you and keep you in his baptismal grace. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ given unto death for all your sins. Take and drink. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins. blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shed for the remission of all your sins take and drink this is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shed for the remission of all your sins take and drink this is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shed for the remission of all your sins Now I ask you to please stand. Now may this holy body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake.
thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. O God, the Father, fount and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness did send thine only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank thee that for his sake thou hast given us pardon and peace in the sacraments, and we beseech thee not to forsake thy children, but evermore to rule our hearts and minds by thy Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve thee. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. The Lord be with you. Bless we the Lord. Receive now the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You may be seated. We close our worship by singing hymn 73, Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates, and we're going to use a third tune.
Welcome to all of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only announcements today are uh, our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day service. Uh, We've had our Advent evening services, and so the next service is 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and then we meet for our regular times on Christmas Day for Sunday School Bible Class at 8.30 and worship at 10. I hope all of you can make it and join us for those. God's richest blessings to all of you and your Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you.